Christ is risen. Come on, you know what to say. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. Amen. Stay seat standing for a moment. <laughs> We're just going to pray. And Easter is about a lot of things. And one of the things is hope in the midst of hopelessness. And I want us to just pray for Ethiopia, Tigray, where there are uh, millions of people being affected by civil war and, of course, also in the Ukraine. And so, Father, we come before you and we thank you that you bring hope into hopeless situations. And it's an eternal hope. It lays hold of your mercy and your grace. And we speak into these situations in the Tigray province of Ethiopia, in the Ukraine, and there's other places in this world where there's conflict. We ask for your power to be demonstrated, for your deliverance, and for an end to these terrible conflicts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, determined to give Him all the glory. And we pray as we come to your word, you would speak to us and just impart your power, your presence, because you are risen and you are risen indeed. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, team. It's great to be able to welcome you online and in this packed auditorium. It's good to see your faces. Our theme this Easter is Jesus. Kind of seems obvious, but the title, Jesus, the heart of Easter. And I want to just focused on an aspect is, why is Jesus the heart of Easter? And it's simply so that we may believe it and our lives be changed. I love what John says, the beloved apostle, even though he named himself that, interesting. Jesus, he says in John 20, in his book, his gospel, in verse 30 and following, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's recorded so that you and I may believe, and in believing we may have eternal life. That is why Jesus is at the very heart of Easter. I want to take a few moments just to talk about four evidences for believing in the power of the resurrection. And there's so many books and uh, all sorts of things written about it, often starting off by somebody who was skeptical and wanted to disprove the resurrection and actually proved it to themselves. And so there's many more things that could be spoken on that. But I love what Paul says when he is in one of his many trials before being executed. And in Acts chapter 26 and verse 8, he says, Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I mean, right there, if God is really God, that should be evidence enough to us. But we're not asked to take a leap of blind faith because there is evidence recorded in the Scripture in history, in all sorts of things. In fact, more evidence about the life, the burial, the death, the resurrection of Jesus than for Julius. Don't go there right now. We'll leave Julius alone. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention, and I think it's such a powerful thing and easy to overlook, that Jesus decided 
proclaimed the resurrected Christ in Jerusalem, in the very city where he'd been publicly crucified and buried, and buried not in a hidden tomb somewhere, but in a well-known rich man's tomb. Everybody knew where the tomb was and which tomb it was. In fact, the disciples focused on that very thought in their preaching as recorded in the book of Acts. And I love this kind of brazen, bold approach when confronted by others who were trying to shut down the movement. They say, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. That proclamation wouldn't have been sustained for a, a few hours if it were not true. If somebody said, whoa, just wait a minute, we know what tomb is in, we know where to go, there's the body. If you are proclaiming that message in the city where everybody knows he was crucified, buried, you better have your facts right. And it's a powerful evidence. And in fact, they continue, the, the, the leaders of, the, of Jerusalem, to try and shut this down. And they say, you gave, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, but you have filled Jerusalem with his teaching. So if it's not true, they could have pointed to the tomb and even try to fabricate a stolen body. That's another whole issue. The, the, the second one, and ladies, just listen to everything I'm about to say. Don't react. The empty tomb was first discovered by women. And yeah, absolutely, whoa. But it is an astonishing thing if this were a fabricated story. Let's just read a little bit of what Luke says about this in Luke 24, verse 10 and 11. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale and they did not believe. The whole point of the story of Jesus is to believe. And Jesus' own disciples are struggling with it. And the news comes from the woman. And the reason why this is so notable in the New Testament is that in Jewish culture at that time, a woman's testimony was deemed worthless. And if the empty tomb story was fabricated, you would not say a group of women discovered the body first. You would say men discovered it first. And I hope you get the point that I mean. The very fact that they are telling the truth of exactly what happened, they celebrate the fact that it was women who discovered the empty tomb. As I said, if you were going to fabricate it, you wouldn't have women in that era discovering the tomb being empty. The third thing is that there are so many recorded encounters amongst the disciples and others with the risen Christ over a period of time before his ascension. In fact, Paul, a former persecutor of the church, and he's trying to shut this down and then has his own encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, writes this in what we refer to as the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And let me just read it. It's a little bit lengthy passage of scripture, but I think you're up for it this morning. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Just a little thought there. There's so many evidence just around fulfilled prophecies, and that's what Paul's tying to there. He was buried, 
And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Paul is leading with evidence, and at the time he's writing, he says, you can go and check these stories out. You can actually go and talk to people who witnessed seeing the resurrected Christ. But the one that I find most interesting in that whole list, and it's my fourth and last thing, evidence to believe, is that he appeared to James. He appeared to James. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Thought Jesus was mad when he started his ministry and said so. But now James encounters the resurrected Christ and is totally transformed. Uh, Let me try and put it to you this way. What would it take for you to convince your family that you were the Messiah? If you said to your brother, your sister, or whatever, cousins, I'm the Messiah, what would it take? And to me, that's one of the greatest evidences is James starts off not believing, actually thinking that Jesus as his half-brother in his ministry time on earth is demented, but then encounters the resurrected Christ. And in the book of James, he doesn't even introduce himself as the half-brother of Jesus. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So I want to challenge you to dare to believe because that's what the resurrection is all about. It's in believing that you have the gift of eternal life. Dare to believe. You see, following the death and burial of Jesus, the disciples actually were unbelievers. Even though they'd heard Jesus teach about stuff and talk about his death and resurrection, it didn't sink in. They were so traumatized by the event, they were actually unbelievers. They did not believe, they did not comprehend, they did not understand what he had been talking about before his death, burial and resurrection. And so I want to read One of the accounts out of John chapter 20, verse 1 to 8 of the resurrection morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord from out of the tomb. You see, they're not believing in the resurrection. They're actually unbelieving. And we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outrun ran Peter. Not only the one that Jesus loved, but he's a foster runner. And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And that's just another thing. If the body had been stolen, why would you unwrap it first before you stole it? So the the, the linen lying, the the burial cloth is still there. 
The body has just passed through it. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who'd reached the team first, also went inside and he saw, and he has the big thing, and believed. There's suddenly a new kind of scene, a new kind of understanding as he sees the evidence of the empty tomb. And we are called to believe without seeing, not blindly because I've already touched on some evidences and there's so many more that you can look at. And the most important question that you will ever be asked is, do you believe? And the answer to that determines your eternal destiny. Your answer to that determines your eternal destiny. Whether you experience forgiveness and cleansing and salvation and the gift of eternal life or whether you will live separately from God for all eternity, which is commonly referred to as hell. But let's talk a little bit about four benefits in believing. And some of you know all four of these. Maybe you can list the four that I've got here up front. But as you, I go through, you go, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, that's true. But I want us to remind all of us on it. And maybe if you're on a journey in seeking faith, in asking questions, these things will just touch your heart. And for those of us who know, it will remind us of the power and the significance of Christ's resurrection. The first benefit of Jesus being risen from the dead, it is evidence that everything I've ever done or ever will do is forgiven or forgivable. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, God forgives us freely, completely, instantly, and repeatedly. I want to just say that again. Because Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and then rose from the dead... God forgives us freely, completely, instantly, and repeatedly. Let me just use a simple illustration why the resurrection is evidence of forgiveness. Because Jesus talked about laying down his life for the forgiveness of sin. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If I committed some crime, let's not make it too heinous, but if I committed some crime that required jail time, and Mick over here has compassion on me, highly unlikely, but no. <laughs> and he says, I'll do the time for you. And the judge agrees to it. I'm just trying to illustrate something. So Mick goes to jail on my behalf, but I will live in continual anxiety that I might too be thrown in jail if halfway through Mick says, I've had enough, send Sean in. But the day I see him walk free, I know the sentence is paid and I am set free. And that's what the resurrection does. It is evidence that the price paid for sin was accepted by God. The resurrection is evidence that your sins, my sins are forgiven and repeatedly forgivable. It's important to believe. Acts 10 verse 43, everyone who believes in him, him being Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
I, I just noticed something. It's not just some people. It's not if you get your life together and then prove to God that you're a good person, that he'll forgive. No, no, just as you are. Everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Romans 3 verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I love that. Everyone, no matter who we are, what we've done, we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, and we are assured of the forgiveness of sins. Just before Jesus died on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It wasn't a statement, it's over. It wasn't a statement of, of having failed, I'm done, I'm finished. It was actually a cry of victory. And it was a word used commonly in Greek. And it means it's tetelestai, probably mispronounced it. But it, it means to bring an activity to a successful completion, to finish something, to settle account. It was sometimes used by generals in a battle when they saw their battle plan was working and the enemy was about to be routed. They would cry tetelestai and would motivate the troops for that final push. It was a cry of extraordinary victory. It was written across bills when the debt had been fully paid. And that's what Jesus is saying. It is done. It is finished. Forgiveness is accomplished. The resurrection is the receipt that God gives us that Jesus paid the price for sin in full. And the resurrection is evidence that that sacrifice was accepted and our sins are forgiven. The second thing is the resurrection gives purpose for my life. If you don't know your purpose in life, you end up kind of drifting, hoping you'll find what you have on the planet for. But there's only really one way to live your life purposefully, and that's by having a relationship with the Creator, and He knows what He created you for. In Colossians 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says of Jesus, everything got started in him and everything finds its purpose in him. And I'd say to you that without Jesus Christ at the center of your life and you put in your faith and trust in him, you will never find the real purpose for which you're on the planet, for which God created you. Because everything gets its start in him and everything finds its purpose in Jesus. And there's so many people on the planet right now who are confused about their identity and therefore their purpose, saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm meant to be doing with my life. And it's because they're looking in the wrong places. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and verse 11 and following. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It is in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, 
He had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of an overall purpose. He's working out in everything and everyone. And when you believe you connect your life to that divine purpose for which your creator created you. So the resurrection is evidence for me to believe that my sins are forgiven. It's in the resurrection I connect my life to the eternal purpose that God has for me. And thirdly, it's in the resurrection I find strength for daily living. I think one of the most common problems that we face as human beings, and yes, these things like guilt and shame that are very powerful, and the resurrection speaks to those, but one that is kind of overlooked but probably experienced by all of us is just weariness. I'm tired. And we're not just talking about being tired from a lack of sleep. That could be part of it, but that's fairly simple to fix. I'm talking about something that gets into your soul, a tiredness, a weariness, and we've all experienced it. And you can't, I can't fulfill our purpose in our own strength. We need to be plugged into God's power. If you have an electrical appliance that may be able to do wondrous things and it's not plugged in or it wasn't plugged in to get the battery that's in it now charged up, that tool, as wonderful as it may be, as amazing as the things it can do, will never accomplish anything. You may be able to use it as a hammer, but it wasn't designed for that, was it? Was it? And unless you and I are plugged into a power source, we will struggle in life. Paul prays a prayer for us, which I'm going to pray over us this morning. Listen to these words. I pray that you may understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Notice we keep coming back to this thing that's at the very heart of Jesus. It's believing. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And I want to speak that over you, whether it's online, here in the auditorium. There is resurrection power that you can plug into and that can strengthen you and empower you and lift some of the weariness and tiredness and energize you for life. But sometimes we're running around in our own strength, thinking we're the energizer buddy, bunny, and as long as that thing supposedly can go on batteries, it's going to come to an end. You've got to get plugged in to the resurrection power of Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, because of that, I have strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. God gives you power to say no, power to start over again, power to begin again, power to keep on going, power to change. It's not positive thinking, it's not self-help kind of philosophy. I'm talking about supernatural power because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the final thing, the fourth thing, first, my sins are forgiven. Second, I find purpose for my life. 
Uh, third, I find strength to live because of the resurrection of Jesus. But also the fourth thing, it is a guarantee that if you believe in him, you will get the gift of eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus, as we know, has literally split history into AD and BC, before Christ and the Christ event, AD. And just think about this. Every single time you look at a date or write a date, you are using the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a reference point in history. That's how powerful the resurrection of Jesus has impacted the world. Every time you write a date, you are referencing the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection proves three things. First, it proved that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 4, he is shown, he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. It was C.S. Lewis who said that you can't just treat Jesus as a nice teacher or a good teacher. Because the things he said about himself as being God, as being able to be raised from the dead, those things, you either believe them and they are evidence that he is who he said he is, or you have to deal with them as a lunatic or a madman or somebody really evil. You can't just go, oh, he's a nice moral teacher. Jesus doesn't allow you to hold that space. It's either believe or don't. And the resurrection is an invitation to believe. He is who he said. Paul says the resurrection proved that Jesus was the Son of God. And in a sense, the good news is our sins killed him. God raised him from the dead. Do what he tells you. It's almost as simple as that. Second, it proves, and I believe this is going to be important to some people today. It proves that Jesus keeps his promises, he's trustworthy. In Mark 9 verse 31, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. The fact that he was able to keep that promise means that every other one of his promises is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What promise are you hanging on to? What promise do you need to search out from God's word? What, what promise would touch your life and allow the resurrection of power of Jesus to enter in? His promises are guaranteed by the power of his resurrection. And the third and final thing is it tells us that there is life after death. Jesus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, had to remind Mary and Martha who he really was. And he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I don't just do resurrections. I am the resurrection and the life. And here it comes again, those who believe in me. Jesus is at the very heart of Easter if you believe in him. I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about eternal death, eternal separation from God or eternally being with God through Jesus Christ. And then he makes a very pointed question as he talks to Mary and Martha, as he would say to you today, 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's the most important question you will ever answer in life because it secures your eternity. And when you believe in him, your sins are forgiven and you receive the gift of eternal life, the guarantee of eternity in the presence of God. Perhaps you've never ever made that clear decision to say, yes, I put my trust, I put my confidence in Jesus. I want to use a very simple illustration. How many of you believe, and be nice about this, that this tool can sustain my weight? Now, that's why I asked you to be nice. Can. If I said, I trust what you've said, and I believe this still can. And all I did was this. Am I really believing? If I did this, it's only when I do this that I truly believe. And that's what faith is. It's not kind of just leaning a little bit, having a bit of a crutch, hoping that this will be a little bit of an add-on to your life. It's resting completely in the finished work of Jesus, that his death, his burial, and his resurrection is sufficient to save you, to heal you, to give you the gift of eternal life, to forgive all your sins. And so the question is, Do you believe?